That is my favorite hymn. I believe it's hymn number one in the Baptist hymnal. Is that right? Our old Baptist hymnal. This goes to show that just because it's new, they don't get everything right. I want to give a happy birthday shout out to my wife. I won't tell you how old she is. She's, she's young looking. That's all that matters, right? What? What is that? Oh, that's all that matters. Hey, listen, I'm 34. And I don't look a day over 51, so that's all that really matters. Yeah, happy birthday to Stephanie. We celebrated her birthday last week, and we're going to celebrate again. Usually in a summer's family, we celebrate for a full week. We don't think a day does justice. I started that tradition, by the way, uh, for my birthday, not everybody else's. Well, good morning. I want to begin with prayer. And then I want to uh, get started with our, our sermon. But I, I really do want to begin with prayer because it is very important to me that as a church we have one mind on where we're going this year, where we're going as a body. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Your word tells us that the heavens declare your glory. The world tells us that we're insignificant, just a pale blue dot floating in nothingness, and that we are nothing more than an accident. But your word tells us that you, Father, created us. You created the heavens and the earth, and you called it good. Not only that, Lord, you created it so that it might glorify you, so that when we look to the heavens, when we look to nature, when we look to animals and their beauty, the beauty of the eye, the beauty of the human cell, the beauty of the recapitulation of the human embryo, the beauty of pregnancy, the beauty of life everywhere, that we might look at that and glorify you, God. Lord, you have put the signs all around us. You've even given us eyes that we might see your glory, given us tongues that we might taste your glory, senses to feel that we might feel your glory, ears to hear that we might hear the beauty of your glory, smells so that we might smell your glory. And so, Lord, we just say, holy, holy, you are God almighty. It is something to consider the vastness of our universe with its 10,000 trillion billion stars and to think that you are infinitely greater and more powerful than even our universe. You are most holy. You are most glorious. But you, God, have placed us here and have revealed in the most beautiful way you could your son Jesus. And that in this world that has fallen, this world that is sinful, that is corrupted, you sent your son. Father, it is my prayer that as a church, we will all speak in the same language and understand 
how important it is to worship you as creator. Holy Spirit, you must do this work. Amen. John Lennon, for those of you who don't know who John Lennon is, probably under the age of 30, but John Lennon was the lead singer of the Beatles, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm over 30, so I barely know that. But I know his famous song was Imagine, one of his most famous songs. And I want to just read the lyrics to this particular song, because in John Lennon's worldview, he believed that if there was no God and there was no religion, things would be a lot easier. Here's what he says. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. In other words, imagine that you weren't living out the goals of your particular religion. You simply believed that all you had was today. Imagine. Essentially what he is arguing for is that in this time of no God, in a world where there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell, that the world would be a better place. This morning I want to prove to you that John Lennon's view of the world is wrong, but that that worldview is not simply relegated to a late singer, but that it has become the prevailing view in Western civilization. The most fundamental question of every worldview is the question, is there a God? Every worldview must answer this. Now, I feel comfortable using the, world, the word worldview because we've been explaining it for the last several weeks. Essentially, a worldview is the way in which we view the world. It speaks of our values and how we will interpret all of the things that matter in life. And the fundamental question that we, every worldview, and every one of us has a worldview, every one of us must answer is, is there or is there not a God? The one thing your worldview cannot be is indifferent about that question. That question is essential to the way you raise your children. It's essential to the way that you vote. It's essential to the morality that you live by. It's essential to what you think the human brain is. It's essential to what you think it means to be a man and a woman. It's essential to what you believe a race is. It's essential to what you believe marriage is. We must answer this question, is there or is there not a God? To answer this question, we have to examine the evidence. In American intellectual life today, science has become the chief arbiter of evidence for God's existence. If you want to know whether God exists or not, you go to science to prove this point. Since the first publishing of Charles Darwin's Origin of Species in 1859, Scientists have largely concluded that the belief in God has been dealt a death blow by the discovery of natural selection acting upon random mutation. Darwin was a scientist who lived in the 1900s and who gave a burgeoning worldview known as naturalism 
during the period of enlightenment thinking, he gave enlightenment thinking and atheism the much needed explanation, the necessary, I dare say, uh, evidence or explanation for where life has to come from. So already before Darwin begins to go, gets on the SS Beagle and takes his trip to the Galapagos Islands just uh, west of the continent of South America, there is a worldview that has said we no, need, no longer need the God of the gaps. The God of the gaps was whenever a Christian or whenever a religious person or a scientist could not explain something, they would just take the belief in God and place him there and say, well, God just figures it out. In fact, Isaac Newton, who was a Christian, did that when he tried to explain in his physics, in his book on physics, how the universe was. He believed that the universe was simply a static box, that God just kept the, the planets and the stars in suspension. It wasn't until Einstein came along later and explained in his theories of relativity that the universe is an expanding, ever-expanding thing, and that there was... At one time, a beginning point to it. This worldview of Darwinism was required in order for someone to believe and answer the question intellectually, is there a God? If you already were committed to atheism, uh, Darwinism is the only game in town. So I want to define that for you. This morning, my goal is simply this. I want to prove to you that the belief in God is a choice and is not based in the evidence, but based in sin. That's my goal this morning. The belief in God is not based in the evidence, but it is based in sin. Philip Johnson, who is a law professor at Cal Berkeley... My clicker's... Oh, I have to turn it on. There we go. Philip Johnson, who's a law professor at Cal Berkeley, says this. The whole point of Darwinism was to show that there is no need for a supernatural creator because nature can do the same thing creating by itself. No need for God. But for us, the issue is that the Bible tells us that God is the creator of the universe and that all matter, space, time, and energy are completely contingent. That means they are based upon the existence of something else. We are all contingent based upon our parents. We don't exist if our parents don't exist. We come from our parents. So our existence is contingent upon our parents. But our parents' existence is contingent upon their parents. And their parents' existence is contingent upon their parents. And that ultimately runs to a place in which we have to have a first necessary being. And the Bible teaches us that the first necessary being that creates all contingent beings, necessary means he has to exist, he cannot not exist, is God. And it answers it, in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God. 
the necessary being for life. And Darwin came along and said, no, 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 you don't need a necessary being. This all can happen. Just give it enough time. Give it the right elements. Give it enough mutation. Give nature and you can get all of the perceived life and all of the perceived intelligent life that we see around us, all of the design, you can get it through enough time plus chance plus matter. And for an atheist, that's the only game in town. Remember, an atheist is someone who doesn't believe that God exists. So if you are already pre-committed to the belief that there is no God, remember that in the Bible, in Psalm 14, it says, the fool says in his heart there is no God, and that the word fool there does not mean someone who's stupid, but it means someone who has made a decision to consciously reject God. If you have decided to say there is no God so that you might condone your immoral lifestyle, you have to be able to back that up with evidence. And Darwin comes along and gives the world the evidence or gives the world the theory for where life came from to support atheistic worldview. That's an issue for us. Especially... Because in the United States of America, our schools are only permitted to teach Darwinism as science. Even in the upper echelon of academics, scientists who do not hold to a Darwinistic worldview are those who don't and they allow their worldview to be told or to be shared are typically criticized. In 2009, Francis Collins was appointed the Director of Health in the United States of America by President then President Barack Obama. And Francis Collins is an evangelical Christian, and the scientific community was outraged that an evangelical Christian would be the leader of the health in America because they could not understand how a person could be a scientist and also a Christian. They were afraid that his worldview would hurt science. He just so happens to be the leader of the Human Genome Project. And if you want to know what that is, by the by, it's the project that is curing and leading to all of the genetic diseases that we're seeing around the world. It is an important, important. He was labeled as one of the 100 most, one of the most important scientists in all the world. Douglas... Uriyama in his evolutionary biology textbook says this. Now this is what young people are reading. By coupling undirected, purposeless variation to the blind, uncaring process of natural selection, Darwin made theological or spiritual explanations of life superfluous. But again, the issue is that we believe God created the world. We believe that all, everything that exists was created by God ex nihilo. That simply means by his word alone. There was nothing that existed before God spoke except for God himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And scripture tells us that he began to speak. He began to put 
energy and light. Light didn't even exist. There was no outer space. There was no pre-existing material until God himself made everything. I'll tell you a funny joke that, in order, that Christians used to tell in order to make this clear of what we believe about ex nihilo. That's just simply the Latin word, out of nothing. And so we believe that God created the world out of nothing. There was a group of scientists one day, and they said to God, we're going to create human life just like you created human life. Today we're very impressed with cloning. Cloning is full of problems that we'll get into in the next couple of weeks. But they said, God, we can create life the same way you create. And so God and these scientists are having a competition. And God said, okay, I want you to create life how I create life. And they said, he said, show me. And they reached down and they said, all right, you just grab a little bit of this dirt. And he said, hold on, get your own dirt. That is what we are talking about when we say God created the heavens and the earth. Dirt didn't exist. You're going to be, I hope, if you didn't already know it, impressed to learn that that's exactly the conclusion that science has come to today. That there was a time where nothing existed. Moses stands to be the most beautiful philosopher we have today. So what is Darwinism? It is the belief that the apparent design in nature is simply the result of blind chance guided by the process of natural selection acting on random mutation. So what is natural selection? It is the belief that nature chooses those, those organisms which are the most fit to breed their genetic DNA to the next generation. So, any genetic mutation that affords a life, an organism, to, to have some kind of adaptation that is, uh, that is beneficial, they will breed that characteristic onto the next animal. And Darwin begins to explain that. He says, listen, this is, if, you, if you follow this the whole way back, you're going to see that this is where you get, you'll come to a, an, original, uh, an original molecule, and all life comes from this tree of life, from this one molecule. And he begins to argue in his book, Origin of Species, how this works in our domesticated animals. I grew up in a home where we had German shepherds, and German shepherds' dad would read a pedigree. And that pedigree simply looked like a bracket for the NCAA tournament. And if this dog had this trait and this trait, it would produce this trait, and it did. And so on and so on and so on. Until you got the dog you wanted. By a selection of breeding the type of qualities and the type of character traits that you wanted to see in your dog. And Darwin says, in nature, it does it this way. If the next thing that comes is beneficial to that organism, and it's, it will be bred on to the next generation. And so eventually you're going to have fit, very fit organisms to live in the world. We have eyes because eyes give us an advantage. To look against any prey, any kind of uh, attacker, anything that might hurt us. To see things that are good for eating and things that are bad for eating. This was Darwin's belief. But creation says this, the world was created by God and all of the things that we were given 
or simply by him for his glory for us to enjoy the world we live in. The Bible tells us that kind created after their own kind. And by the way, whenever you read a German shepherd pedigree, the only thing you ever had, dogs. So we're left here with a conclusion that we're all going to have to make a decision on. Darwinism or creationism. There are no other options. If God exists, the world has been created by God. If God does not exist, Darwin is the only game in town. You and your beautiful children and everything you see in this world is nothing but an accident. Furthermore, the Bible tells us not only that God is creator, but God is a sovereign sustainer of all things in the universe. And that the universe is not left to chance, but all things move and live and have their being within God's control. Look at what 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6 says. Christian, this is our belief about our world. We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, in other words, idols, as indeed there are many gods, in quote, and many lords, in quote, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The Bible tells us different than Darwin. We are not an accident. We are the purposeful design of God to glorify Him. And there is not a single thing in all of the universe that is not there to declare God's glory. All right, so do you see the difference between the two worldviews? Well, what are the implications of this? There are implications. For us, the Christian worldview cannot accept any belief that leaves the universe up to chance. We cannot accept creation, the existence of anything, up to chance and accident. The Bible rules that option out for us in its first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I want us to understand, we're trying to put together a worldview. We cannot hold to a worldview that believes in accidental chance and still hold to a Christian worldview. The Bible rules it out. Second, the Christian worldview must believe that God controls everything in our universe from the greatest to the least. So that in every type of animal, every type of flora and fauna, every type of ocean and mountain and star were designed and created by God. Furthermore, the Christian worldview does not leave anything in the universe up to chance. And lastly, the Christian worldview believes that our universe has a purpose and that its purpose is to glorify Christ.
the big question, one of the big questions that philosophers used to debate is, what is the meaning of life? And do you know that the scriptures answer that? The meaning of life taught in scripture is to love God and enjoy him, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we are to do. Scripture says this, For by him, that is Christ, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The problem we're facing is that the prevailing worldview of American science are two worldview markers known as philosophical naturalism and methodological naturalism. Big words, let me explain them to you. Essentially this. Your kids are being taught on a daily basis that reality, everything that is real, is simply made up of three things. One is space. The second one is time. And the third is matter. Space, time, and matter. When anyone asks you what is the universe, the universe is space, time, and matter. Our universe is made up of solar systems. Solar systems are planets that center around stars. Those stars are part of a bigger uh, unit known as galaxies. Those galaxies, there are billions upon billions of galaxies in our universe. And they are all related to one another in space. Space... Outer space is an active thing that is moving and ever-increasing and expanding. All of our pieces, all of, the, all of the pieces of our universe and the galaxies, we can see, and this has been proven today, that they're moving away from one another. So that if you rewind the clock a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, you get all the way back to a single point. And our kids are being taught that all that exists is what is physical and exists within that universe. Just so you know, when Christians come out with strange theories about finding heaven in a distant galaxy, or hearing, I know some of you have heard this one, hearing screaming from the center of the earth, as if to say that's where hell is, both heaven and hell, if that were true, would be part of an ever-corruptible universe. But heaven and hell exist, according to Scripture, beyond this world, beyond this universe. We're being taught that time and, and, and space and matter, these three things working together, have produced intelligent life. And that all reality is simply made up of these three things. So that we hold to a view today, what is being taught in our courses and to our children is a worldview known as naturalism. Naturalism. And there are two parts to naturalism. One is philosophical and the other one is methodological. 
Philosophical naturalism is the belief that there is no supernatural reality, no God or gods, no heaven or hell, no objective meaning, purpose, or morality. That is a belief. How could anyone prove that there is no supernatural reality? It is by definition outside of nature. And so there is already a pre-commitment from our, our kids' teachers in our world that there is no God. And so they have to approach all answers to our world from the approach of methodological naturalism. Namely this, the belief that all scientific inquiry must rule out a priori, that means before the evidence even comes, any supernatural causes or explanations for the physical universe. Even if you could show them the evidence for God. Even if you get to a point, and I believe there are two specifically, and I'll show those to you in the coming weeks, that demonstrate that there is only, and the only explanation for our existence is a creator. They will deny it out of hand. Why? Because they have already committed themselves to a faith. There is no God. And therefore, all answers to the questions of life must be answered on natural bases. So this is before the evidence. A commitment before the evidence. There cannot be a God because we believe it. And therefore, there are no answers. But our culture views science as a final authority in all matters of truth. So that if anything does not agree with this interpretation of scientific evidence, it's deemed a mere belief. So if in our scientific community we see science as the fundamental arbiter of all things that are true, and science has already ruled out God a priori before the evidence, therefore anything a Christian says must be deemed false. It's not based on the evidence. This is our world. You believe in God, Christian? You're told you have no scientific evidence for that. Why? Because there is already a pre-commitment that there is no God before the evidence is even considered. This is a problem for our world. Richard Dawkins says this, he is an atheistic biologist at Oxford University who just by the by has called, has called for a moratorium on all people who believe in a, uh, who do not believe in evolution. That is to say, he has said at Oxford, he, does, he has called for and has started a movement at Oxford to not allow any young person entering Oxford who has a pre-committed belief in God and denies evolution. I.e. Christians. And a lot of others for that matter. But listen to what he says. 
in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. How would you counsel with that worldview the young people who witnessed 17 of their classmates murdered two weeks ago? 14 others who were shot. How about the 200,000 Americans who, since 1999, have been a part of an active shooter situation? The 850 people who were injured in Las Vegas and the 52 who lost their lives. How about the bloodiest century of human history, which was the 20th century, and the 50 million deaths at the hands of World War II. How can that worldview even answer the question of Nazism? How can you say that Nazism is nothing but pitiless indifference? That it does not matter? You see, this is the consequence of Darwinism. This is where it leads, if we are honest, that there is no meaning, no morality, and nothing but pitiless indifference. If Darwin is true, what Nicholas Cruz did two Wednesdays ago is nothing. It's nothing. They are simply matter animated, dying, going nowhere. You could even make the case, as many people who plot to commit their own death and suicide, that they will just simply end all pain and suffering by killing themselves earlier than later. Well, that leads to our politics. Should a person who wants to kill themselves be allowed to? Should we assist that? What about our children in utero? They are nothing more than cells. You see, all of this comes from a worldview. All of what we believe about life. That boy, it used to be the case that if people wanted to commit suicide, they'd simply go into their room and blow their brains out. But now they want to take 34 to 50 other people with them. Why? They don't believe that there's going to be a final reckoning. They believe that the moment they die, there's nothing. And Darwin simply feeds it. This has grave, grave, grave consequences for the world we're living in. Richard Dawkins is the fundamental, he is the first and foremost 
believer in atheism today. Well, what we're being told is that this boils down to an issue between faith and science. That you've got to make up your mind whether you're going to believe in faith or whether you're going to believe in science. And so today we're told, even from some Christians, that science has no place in religion. And the vast majority of scientists are telling us that religion has no part in science. And so we take these two words and we act as if they're different. But what I've just told you and demonstrated to you is that ultimately our scientific worldview and approach in America starts with a faith. There is no God. Therefore, all answers to our questions about life must come from nature. But this is a false, false teaching. There is, behind this false face and this false front, a real worldview war going on. Creation or Christian worldview versus a naturalistic worldview. It boils down to this. This one question, is there a universe or is the universe a closed system or is there a reality beyond what is physical? I see Mr. Hearn smirking over there in the corner. He was my science teacher. And he began every year with an analogy of a fisherman in the lake. And this question, this analogy, is fundamental to my understanding, and by the way, it is fundamental to the understanding of this topic in general. Do we have enough to understand the world around us? Is there a beyond? Is there something beyond our universe? Are there God? Is there a God? Angels, Satan, demons, heaven, and hell. Scripture tells us there are. Darwin tells us there isn't. And we ultimately have to answer the question. If God exists or he doesn't exist, our belief will determine all of the scientific evidence that we will allow. If God exists, meaning and purpose exist. If God exists, it does mean something that we lost 34 or 17 people the other day and 34 were shot. It means something. They had a purpose beyond an early death. Murder matters. Not only that, but there is a right way to live life. And listen to me, there is a wrong way to live life. If God exists, morality exists. If God exists, we can stand on high and say what Hitler did was wrong. He should be punished. If God exists, miracles are possible. Why? Because the natural laws are strictly random. They are simply the decision of God to make water freeze at 32 degrees Fahrenheit and not 31. 
then if God creates the laws, why cannot God intervene in those laws? You see, if we believe in this type of creator, it's not a stretch for us to believe that the one who created everything can give life to his own son. If God exists, there is judgment for sin. What Nicholas Cruz did two weeks ago, he will be judged for it. And he will be judged perfectly for it. What Hitler did, he will be judged for it. That deadbeat daddy who left you as a child, that man who raped you, that woman who molested you, they will pay. There will be judgment. They will not escape. But that judgment comes to all of us, doesn't it? Because all of us are lawbreakers. We like to think of ourselves as good people, but Scripture tells us, no, we're not. We're liars. Jesus says we're adulterers. He says we're murderers in our heart because if we had the opportunity, we'd do it. If we could do it and get away with it, we'd do it. We're coveters. All of us, there will be judgment for our sin. If you believe that God exists. But of course, the moment that you begin to believe in judgment and you begin to feel the guilt of your own sin, it is that moment where God graciously brings in the narrative. I have sent my son into the world to die for the sins of mankind. If God does not exist, or if God exists, there is a heaven and there is a hell. If God doesn't exist, there's no meaning and purpose. It's all relative. What do you believe life should be? For Nicholas Cruz, life should be about revenge. There were kids who made fun of him. Nobody stepped in and did anything about it. That girl should not have broken up with him. And for him, no one else was going to give him justice. He was going to take it into his own hands. And who are you if there is no God to play God and say he ought not to do it? You're no one. You're just another human being. Another accident of time plus chance plus matter. Where will you point? Where will you show me there ought to be right and wrong? There is no God. Morality is relative. Why not allow a man and a man to marry? They love each other. Why not lie to get ahead? People say, if you lie in life, you'll never get ahead. That's baloney. You don't know. If you lie, listen to me, young people. If you lie, cheat, and steal, you'll probably be rich. That's my advice today. Harvey Weinstein. That mean anything to you? Every politician in this country. If you lie, cheat, and steal, you'll probably be rich. That's how you get ahead in life. And oftentimes when you live the Lord's way, 
you're on the scaffold. Right is ever on the scaffold, and wrong is ever on the throne. Why not lie to get ahead? If there's no God, you're not going to pay for it. Morality becomes relative. There's no right, there's no wrong. It's only what you decide to believe. You begin to be your own God. You see, our worldviews have consequences at the end of the day. Over the next four weeks, I want to explain to you, and I want to give you four types of evidence for creation. There are four types of evidence for creation. And what we are going to be doing is we are going to be moving from the Word of God into the real world. We're going to look here. We're going to say, okay, what does God's Word tell us to look for outside in nature? What does it tell us to look for? It says in the beginning, God. Well, then when I do my science, I better find God. You hear me? If God says, I created the heavens and the earth, you better find his handiwork. So we're going to start right here. And we're going to ask the question, what does God's world, or word expect to tell us? And what should we expect to find out there? Because the two, as Augustine said, must be in agreement. But we're going to start here and not on the outside. I want to read to you a passage, Romans 1. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to Romans 1. You might say that the purpose of this whole sermon is simply to prove to you that creation and our belief in creation matters. That it has big, big implications. Christian, I don't want you to think that when you go into college that you have to take a back seat. You have better reason for believing in God than the naturalist has for not believing in God. And I'm going to take four weeks to show you why. But I want to show you this too. God did not agree with Lenin. That is John Lennon. He didn't agree with the other Lennon either. God told us that a world without him is abject chaos. I want you to tell me. I want you to read this passage with me. I'm going to read it with you. And I want you to say, I want you to ask yourself the question and answer this question in your mind. Is this what our world looks like and where it's going? Because at the very beginning of our passage, the Holy Spirit is going to explain to us how our world has gotten to where our world has gotten. And how our world is going to get to where we all know it's going. Verse 18, Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The fundamental problem of humankind, there is ungodliness, there is unrighteousness. Not simply immorality, 
but a denial of God. We show we don't really care about God's law every time we say, open the door. Oh my, when we take his name in vain, the Bible says that's blasphemy. But we show we don't really care about what God's law is. Every time we lust. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, their status of sinful human beings, they suppress the truth. They push it down. It's not that they don't have evidence. The heavens declare the glory. I'm going to spend four weeks proving that to you. Be here. These are important messages. God is not. Any of you who say you do not have reason to believe in God, come. I'm going to show you for four weeks why for you to deny it is your choice. It's not based in evidence. The evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of a theistic universe. You suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You will not get to heaven and tell God, yeah, but Darwinism. Darwinism proved you didn't exist. Because the science does not agree with it. Give me my four weeks. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. Oh, it sounds like our college professors. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Essentially what Paul is saying is that every human being has this tendency to deny what is plain about God and to make for themselves their own God. Some cultures would take wood and they'd carve out a God. And they'd put it on a mantle and they'd light candles and they'd pray to it. Cultures like ours go to Avon and they paint their faces up. And they take pictures of themselves. And they make themselves God. But all of this is a choice to reject what is clearly plain in creation. Therefore, therefore, since, since, man has said, we don't need God, we'll find our own God. Therefore, here's what happens. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They made a deal. They made a deal. 
They took all of the evidence for God and they exchanged it for a lie. Why? So that they could have their idols. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Don't be shocked when you see a world that rejects God. Don't be shocked when you see every day on the news more dishonest and disgusting passions. God said, okay, I'll give you what you want. You don't want me? I'll give you the God that you want. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for error. Paul's not just singling out homosexuality as the only sin that is caused when we reject God. He's just simply singling out as the most obvious example of rejecting what can be known about God in nature. Do I need to explain that? Do you not know human anatomy? Do you not understand how this works? Nature itself says no to homosexuality. It will not bless the offspring. There will be no offspring of man and man. There will be no offspring of woman and woman. You will not have it. But in man and in woman, in the beautiful anatomy that God has made, God says, I will bless that. And I will not bless it outside of the covenant of marriage. I will not. Look at the statistics. The vast majority of these, of young people who commit crimes, the vast, the vast majority, over two-thirds, closer to three-fourths of young people and people who commit crimes grow up in homes without both parents. One dad, one mom. Okay. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that is, they show by their disobedience of his commands, since they did not see fit to obey him, here's what he let them do. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, those of you who think this is only a passage on homosexuality, God's about to take a rifle out and shoot every one of us. Because we're all in his crosshairs. You ready? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil, covetousness and malice. Covetousness. Health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is covetousness. Those of you who watch Creflo Dollar and he tells you that if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to get a million dollars or you're going to get back ten or you're going to get tenfold, that is covetousness. Jesus offers you a cross. Covetousness, malice, 
They are full of envy. You ever been envious of someone? Murder. Strife. They love to fight. Deceit. Maliciousness. They are wicked. They are just constantly looking for evil. They are gossips. Oh boy. You may not look at pornography, but you all pick up your life magazine and you love that gossip. And what does it do? It destroys people's lives. Tells lies. Really what we're doing when we read those gossip magazines is we're comparing ourselves to others. We're simply saying, oh, thank God I'm not like them. There was a person in Scripture who said that. It was a Pharisee who left the temple unjustified. Who got down on his knees and prayed, thank you God that you didn't make me like that sinner. But the tax collector... He said, be merciful upon me, a sinner. And Jesus says, he went home justified. We love those gossip magazines and we love to talk about other people because we love to say our lives aren't the mess that they are. We love, we love to look at the speck in everyone else's eye and not worry about the plank in our own. This is all of us slanderers. We tell lies about people. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, and boastful. We're constantly talking about ourselves. That's all social media is. Who cares that Doug from Pawnee, Indiana bought a shirt? Who cares? Look at me. Look at myself. We're boastful. We even invent ways of doing evil. There is a man, I don't remember how old he is, but he says on the inside he feels like a six-year-old boy. He's in his 30s or 40s or something like that. That's now being used as an excuse to molest children. Because ultimately he feels his gender as a six-year-old boy. We invent ways of being evil. We don't have enough time on our hands. We're constantly thinking of wickedness. It used to be that we fought each other who we had problems with, and now we just kill people at random. They are disobedient to parents. Kids, you're in this list too. You're disobedient to your parents. Foolish. You're faithless. You're heartless. You're ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Sounds exactly like America today. And how did we get here? We said in our heart, there is no God. Christian, you have to take back your worldview. You have to begin to understand why your belief in God is important. Not just for you, 
but for everyone who lives in this society. Let's pray. God, you are holy. We reject you. We think we know better for our life. Your word, clearly, we know, God, we can't come to you and lie to you. We know, we know what you want. We know that today you want us to rid ourselves of pornography. We know that today you want us to stop fornicating. We know that today you want us to put down alcohol and not be a drunkard. We know that today you want us to be self-controlled. We know that today you want us to be the father you want us to be and husband you want us to be. You know that today you want us to give up those illicit affairs. We know that today you want us to give to you. We know that today we want to use your money to help others. We know that today we are to read and worship you and to glorify you. And yet we choose, we choose in our sin to deny you. And Lord, we try to say that we can do that because science has proven you don't exist. Oh God, for the next four weeks and forevermore, let your glory shine in all that what you've made. Let us be so clearly without excuse that when we deny you, it is clearly fallen on us that we are guilty in our sin. Oh Lord, we thank you today. Thank you that we can come to you today and say to you, God, we are guilty. But look to Christ for our forgiveness. We are guilty, but Jesus, you took away our guilt. And we put our faith in you and trust you. Because God, not only have you revealed your creation, but you have revealed to us your incarnation. And we can trust in Jesus and have hope eternally. And so we put all of our sins on you, Jesus. And we trust in you. Help us now to live acknowledging that there is a God. Amen.